Have you ever been on a road trip? Yeah. Well, it was at Chi-Chi and Papa's, and um, well, I've been at the amusement park, and I also went on the scary, scary. Remember the snake one and that little roller coaster one, and and I also went to Sesame Place, and I also went to. The water park. Welcome to the Story Attic. I'm your host, Lisa Ellis. On this podcast, we help others share their stories personal stories of love, despair, happiness, intrigue, adventure, and more. Often surprising, sometimes funny, sometimes sad, occasionally puzzling, rarely dull, and regularly tantalizing. Join us as we step into the Story Attic. If you enjoy our show or would like to be a guest telling your story, please drop us a line at thestoryatticpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at hashtag thestoryatic, where you will also find podcast extras like photos of our guests, giveaways, and more. Enjoy the show. I can say exactly where who have been to the brink and back again. I've reached the end to begin. Through the glass, the future's clear Beyond the doubts, in spite of fears Pushing past all the tears Breathing in the days and years It's time to break through the roof And put the past behind To live the dreams are stored away In the attic of my mind Hello listeners, today I'm telling another little personal story about a road trip I went on a long, long time ago. I recorded this story a while back, so I think it's important that I acknowledge the highly publicized recent disappearance and death of Gabby Petito went missing while on a cross-country trip with her fiancé. Her age, and the fact that she is also from Long Island, and the fact that she had set out almost 28 years from the time I left for my trip, have haunted me. I am thankful that there are no other obvious parallels between us, and I am praying for her family and loved ones that they find peace and justice. My story that follows is light in nature, and for entertainment purposes, so it's important that as a listener, you can differentiate between the two. If you find the aforementioned triggering, please revisit the show at a later time. I will not be offended. If you or anyone you know are in distress, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. Or visit thehotline.org for confidential resources and support. This episode contains lots of swear words and is intended for listeners over the age of 18. He said, I had a great time, I'll call you tomorrow. And then he hugged me and I went inside where my parents were anxiously awaiting my arrival. I know, it sounds like the end of a lukewarm high school first date, doesn't it? But quite contrarily, it was the end of an epic two-month adventure one that began and ended at the curbside of my parents' home. 
So what does one say at the end of such an adventure? Where do you start? Fact was, he did have a great time. So did I. And he did call me the next day. And honestly, no words would have adequately summarized the journey we'd just been on. So I gave him a pass on the less is more approach. A couple months earlier, I sat across from my folks and ripped off the band-aid. So I'm going on a cross-country road trip and I'm leaving in two months. There was a pregnant pause. And then in a slightly lower, less confident voice, I said, And I'm going with Jay. My parents weren't the overprotective or meddling type, but they were still my parents. While I hadn't made too many questionable choices, at least not that they were aware of, I'm sure that as parents, they were fearful for both my physical and emotional safety. I thought about telling them that I was knocked up or joining a cult, figuring that if I followed it with, just kidding, and then told them the real news, it would seem like a relief. But I never had a real strong poker face, so I just decided to go with the truth bomb right away. I'd be lying if I said Jay was my first choice as co-pilot. For one thing, he was a guy I'd only been dating a very short time, and my parents barely knew him. Hell, I barely knew him. But he was sweet and harmless enough, and at least he didn't seem like a serial killer. Jay and I had been working together for probably about six months. It was each of our first post-college jobs in an environmental testing agency. At least he had a degree in biology. I was a communications major and struggled to find a job in that field. Is that even a field? In any event, this trip would signify my rebellion against working in a job that brought me no fulfillment. Typing strings of chemical compounds certainly wasn't going to help propel my career in the music industry forward. Spoiler alert, that was never going to happen anyway. So I began asking close friends if they wanted to come with me on an epic road trip. A few were totally up for it, in concept, but when push came to shove, everyone was either afraid to leave things behind or simply didn't consider themselves in a position to be able to do it. Then, in walked this person to my life. He was nice. He liked to go out and have a good time with us. And when everyone else declined, he gave the 1993 version of Hells Yeah! And while we weren't walking off the job, like Jerry Maguire and Renee Zellweger in reverse, I was fully confident about leaving and not looking back. Anyway, in a matter of a week after we decided to be travel partners, we had the parents all sit down together to debate the possible merits and perils of two kids taking such a trip. A couple pots of coffee and an apple pie later, we got their reluctant blessing to go forward with planning. I should note, I was already 23 years old, as was he, so technically we didn't need their blessing. But I was still their daughter, and I was living in their house, so it was better to have it than to go against their advisement. Once we got the thumbs up, we sat down to discuss which places we wanted to visit on purpose, which places we might visit because they were on the way, and which places we would just breathe through. It was one-dimensional planning, of course, because neither of us had ever actually been to any of these places. We'd only read or heard about them or saw them on TV. There was no internet to Google how to be broke and stupid and go across the country in a hatchback with a guy you barely know. So instead, I bought a book called Let's Go USA. Future moment. 
That book might be the best $25 I've ever spent. It gave us all the nooks and crannies, local tips, mom and pop restaurants, cheap campgrounds, and then some. It got so much use that I'm sure part of the binding and cover fell off. I wish I still had it. When we weren't working to save money and planning, we were buying shit. I found a store I would never have heard of called EMS and went there weekly looking for sale items. He had some stuff, but the only thing I had was a giant brown sleeping bag made of cotton that my friends nicknamed the turd after it got saturated on an earlier rafting trip and weighed 30 pounds, so that wasn't coming with me. Something I don't think I ever told anyone else is that in the time before our departure, I had to spend a lot of time convincing myself that I could do this, that it would be great, that I would be okay. Other people seemed unfazed and unsurprised that I was going, as though they'd expected it all along. This is when I realized that their perception of me didn't match the feelings I had of myself. Going across the country always seemed like something I should want to do, but I it didn't quite fit my background or upbringing. Like, I wanted to be a girl that would hop in a van with my bell-bottoms on, all free-spirited-like. But the truth was, I was just a girl from the suburbs that didn't know shit about shit. I spent a lot of time in my youth worrying about the impact of my choices on others and on myself and being afraid of taking bold chances. I also, quite frankly, felt unskilled, unprepared, and afraid of failing at things. So I guess I needed to do this to prove to myself that I could, even if I was frightened. It was time to authenticate myself. It would be decided once and for all if I was the girl who looked like the girl who did these things. I'll call it a Tuesday that we loaded my three-door Mazda MX-6, filling the trunk and back seat with camping gear, an unreasonable quantity of granola bars and oatmeal packets, canned food, a stun gun, a couple of journals, cameras, and triptychs. Lots of triptychs. What's a triptych, you might be wondering? Well, picture this. You get in your car to go somewhere, and you unfold the colorful little paper packet, and then you unfold it again, and then one more time, or maybe two times, and inside you find a map. Not just any map, though, a map of a particular region of the United States along a route that you told a travel concierge that you wanted to drive on. You might wonder, why wouldn't you just put the coordinates in your GPS? Well, because your phone, maybe a flip phone, is plugged into the wall at your parents' house because it's 1993. That's right, no GPS, no cell, no iTunes, just a cassette deck. So yeah, we had maps. I don't remember precisely, but I'm going to guess there were like 20 or 30 of them. I have to admit, not knowing him for too long, I was mighty impressed, if not somewhat alarmed, at Jay's organizational skills, determination to pack large items, and make the inside of my car look like a trash compactor. Once the hatch was closed, we kissed and hugged our parents and a few good friends and pulled away from the curb, leaving them in the rearview mirror. First thing I did was open the giant cassette holder that my best friend stayed awake for two days filling up with mixtapes. In it, I found 30 two-sided tapes and instructions on which sections of the country to play them in. These tapes were our road soundtrack, 
songs we sang at the top of our lungs that filled the silence, that broke the tension, and that brought comfort when we got homesick from time to time. We sang our way, tape after tape, state after state. I had no idea just then that I would be forever changed on that journey. Many of the details of each stop along the way have faded, as I think is true of most of life's happenings. But the things that have stayed with me are the things that had a visceral impact. I loved waking up on a brisk morning, my body all cozied up in my sleeping bag with a cold nose, seeing the dew or watching a spider crawl on the outside of my tent. I learned how to get comfy in a camp chair or plant myself on a large rock with my journal and spill my thoughts and feelings out, a practice that fed my soul. I loved and still love the precise sounds of nature, the crunch of the trail under my feet, the crackling of branches by critters and birds, the white noise sound of the brook nearby, the howls and yips of coyotes late at night, the way a few footsteps from a small animal sound thunderous and frightening when you're in the dark, protected only by a thin layer of nylon. One night, we pulled into a campsite at what might have been 1 a.m. We had to put up the tent quickly and in the dark. Once inside and settled down, the darkness got darker, and the silence amplified the sounds of nighttime in the mountains. We hear footsteps approaching, and then circling our tent. Jay grabbed the stun gun. I gave him the side eye and whispered, What the fuck are you going to do with that? And he quipped back, I don't know. This went on for what seemed like an hour. We finally fell asleep for a while, but awoke at dawn to the sounds of loud animal noises. My brow furrowed and Jay tried to stop me from unzipping the tent, but I knew I needed to see what we were up against. So I opened the door just a crack and peered out to find cows. Lots of cows. Turns out we were camping in the middle of a cow pasture. We both denied how scared we were that we could have been mauled by a giant beast and then just laughed our asses off before packing up to get the hell out of there. Along the way, I learned random life skills and coping mechanisms. Check out my greatest hits. There was the bouncy classic, hey look, I found another way to use a bungee cord. The haunting breathiness of, holy shit, there's a bear, don't move. The soothing and sweet melody, oh my god, look at that, it's beautiful. The heterophonic, let's just sleep in the car. The distinctive readiness of, put away the stun gun. And number one, for eight weeks in a row, um, I need a bathroom break. Yes, again. Just for my own recollection, I wrote down some of the many landmarks, cities, sites, and parks we hit in just eight weeks. We went hiking through the Alleghenies, the Badlands and Black Hills, Yellowstone, Yosemite, Big Sky, Glacier, Mount Rainier, Mount Hood, Big Sur, the Redwoods, the Grand Canyon, and then some. After the Badlands, I remember thinking that I could have gone home right then and already have seen the most beautiful place I would ever see. We enjoyed the festivities and company of old friends in Chicago, LA, San Diego, Dallas, and San Antonio. The decision to part ways a couple of times was a strange and welcome break. We each visited dear friends, and when we came back together, it felt natural and like a reset button had been pressed. We chugged up Mount St. Helen, 
wound our way around the Pacific Coast Highway. I got my hippie on at Haight-Ashbury, and we even drove down to Tijuana for some beers. We skipped the tequila and tattoos, at least on that trip. We saw bear, buffalo, moose, prairie dogs, eagles, otters, and dolphins. One afternoon, while visiting the San Juan Islands in Washington, 20 whales passed us by as we ate lunch, sitting on a jetty. And that was about an hour after someone had told us the whales had gone for the season. Crazy Horse, Mount Rushmore, the Giant Redwoods, El Capitan, Hearst Castle, Graceland, and the Hollywood Bowl didn't disappoint either. We relived the Goonies at Cannon Beach in Oregon and laughed at the Corn Palace and the hundreds of signs for wall drug in South Dakota. He bought a surfboard. I got my first ever massage in Hot Springs, Arkansas, where Bill Clinton, the new president at the time, was from. I think it's fair to say that seeds of growth were planted in each of us, knowing that if we could do this, it was quite possible we could do anything. But the most interesting thing, perhaps of all, was that the romance that blossomed was not the one we'd expected. It wasn't without its tense moments, but in the end, our personal relationship took a back seat to the relationships we were separately building with America. And she really was beautiful. It was so much bigger than a guy and a girl in a relationship that wouldn't last long after the trip ended. Overall, I learned to appreciate very simple things. I realized how little it takes to provide comfort and allow you to feel humble and grateful. Reveling in a lukewarm campground shower, staying in a $17 a night motel room that felt like a palatial luxury, enjoying a meal that someone else made and didn't come out of a packet or a can, relying on the kindness of strangers, and not being in such a hurry all the time. There were lost journals, cameras, and now lost memories. I may have forgotten the gritty details, but I will always remember the smells, sights, and sounds. When we finally arrived home, everything and everyone around me seemed to be moving at a much faster pace than I. It had been a while since I'd set an alarm or been on any kind of schedule. It was difficult to reassimilate to normal routine activity. And in a way, I felt like no one could understand me. I resented having to be places at a certain hour, and maybe even a little that it wasn't outwardly visible how much I'd changed on the inside. People would ask about the trip with genuine intention, and I would find it difficult to describe. Kind of like relaying a dream you had that is perfectly vivid in your mind, but once your mouth opens, the details begin to disintegrate. And then, one day at a time, as I stepped more firmly into a new job, new friends, new relationships, the trip and the peaceful state were slowly replaced with normalcy and began to become a part of my past. A few years later, I read Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods, a wonderful memoir about his trip with a college friend walking on the Appalachian Trail. Years after that, I enjoyed Cheryl Strayed's Wild, which brought me back to many of those memories, as the PCT had only just been completed when we hiked on it. It made me want to return. Reading these books reminded me of the magic of exploration and in breathing in nature and in overestimating just how much stuff you can carry in your backpack. These days, my backpack is pretty heavy, but it's not filled with trail mix, a headlamp, or granola bars. It's more of the proverbial backpack, stuffed with appointments, responsibilities, plans, old dreams. 
Someday, I hope to go on a similar journey, this time with my kids on board once they get old enough to care. I hope I can teach them some of the things that I picked up along the way, and that I will learn through their ways of doing things. While preparing the story, I searched for and found some photos from the trip. Funny thing was, I had probably taken a thousand pictures with a basic point-and-shoot camera that I'm sure I thought were going to rival Ansel Adams, and what I got were hundreds of the shittiest photographs ever taken. Now, seriously, you'll agree when you see them. No matter, the images in my mind are spectacular. For anyone listening who has ever thought about doing something wild, liberating, scary, exciting, and life-changing, and then doubted themselves, I'm saying you can. Go ahead, try to prove me wrong. In the meantime, I'm going to pop in a mixtape, and I'm writing my journal. It's time to break through the roof and put the past behind. Sailing the dreams I stole away And in the attic of my mind In the attic of my mind Thank you for listening to The Story Attic. If you're enjoying our show, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, hashtag The Story Attic. If you're not enjoying our show, don't tell us all. Catch you next time, and until then, remember to be kind, be real, lean in, and be fearless. Sometimes when I think back on every little thing I can say exactly where I've been To the brink and back again I've reached the end to begin Through the glass the future's clear Beyond the doubts in spite of fears Pushing past all the tears Breathing in the days and years It's time to break through the roof And put the past behind To live the dreams of stored away In the attic of my mind The attic of my mind Memories washing over me Little pieces adrift, I'd say Some weathered and some shimmering Together bound, together free It's time to break through the roof And put the past behind To the dreams of stowed away In the attic of my mind it's time to break through the roof And put the past behind To the dreams of stored away In the attic of my mind The attic of my mind The attic of my mind
Body of my mind.